The Feeling Sound podcast is brought to you in association with Urbanista. Urbanista is an online magazine for creatives where you can reach a like-minded audience of fellow urbanistas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feeling Sound podcast. Well, today we're staying local again. We're in Smith Down Road, in fact. But the band, well, the band are from somewhere far, far away. We're talking about the Jagged Baptist Club from L.A. The band consists of Blake Stokes, Morgan Pounder, Josh Boyd and C.J. Ramsey. They released their first album in 2019 called Reptile Super Show and their latest work, Temptation Death House, has been really tearing up a storm. On the back of this release, they've been touring Europe and I managed to get some time to talk to Blake before the band actually went on stage and ask him about why they're on tour, their music, their heritage and more importantly, what music means to him. The great thing about The Handyman is it's a really unique venue. It's got a bar at the front and it's got a small stage area at the back. And that is exactly why this is such a special gig for me. Because to see a band who I've regarded for some time as being ahead of the game, on stage, live, almost in touching distance to the audience, is a real privilege. That looks like it's running to me. Yes, it does. This is the coziest nice. interview I've yeah. ever done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so we've relocated to the car because obviously it's too noisy in the gig. First of all, I'm with Blake Stokes from mm-hmm. the band Jagged Baptist Club. And one thing that's been doing my head in, Blake, yeah. is why you're called that. Yeah, okay. So, the, you know, usually I lie in interviews about that, but I'll, I'll tell the truth. So... Um, we needed a name that you could find, that when you searched us, we would be the only thing that came up, right? So that was the initial need that we had. And, you know, I went to, late one night, a, a random name generator, right? And it asked some questions. It said, you know, what does your music sound like? I, I put in Jagged, which I felt was pretty good, the way I slashed the guitar and stuff like that. Uh, it said, add another word. And I put Baptist. I chose that. Uh, the Vines, the band I love from Australia that were big, you know, 20 years ago, they got a really good B-side called Drown the Baptist. And I always love that song. I love that band. Religious imagery is always good to kind of play with. It's kind of a loaded thing. So I stuck that in there. And then the generator threw club on the end. And it was one of those things when I saw it, I just said, yeah, there's something about that that kind of clicks. You know, brought it to the rest of the band. They weren't completely sold. They eventually came around. And then since we've had it, we found all this other stuff with it, right? Like first off, it abbreviates really well. JBC, you can get people chanting that. That's really fun. Um, it really is the only thing. We're the only thing that comes up when you search it. So it, it, it satisfied the uh, the internet need. And um you know, the more I thought about it, something that we really strive to do in terms of our relationship with our audience and on stage and things like that is to be, you know, inclusive in terms of being on the same level as the audience and not being distant, not being removed and not being, you know, hey, we're three feet above you on the stage or whatever. We're all here together and we can't do it without them, right? We'd have no career without people coming out to see the shows or, or buying records. So the club aspect of it really does feel like a real thing in terms of how we treat people. So the, the initial idea is like, look, we needed a unique name that no one else had that you could find really easily and then since then we found all these other little things built in that really work i absolutely love the name it's good and i was hoping it might be some sort of southern 
sort of religious thing, but you know. So you know, I am. We're from the band's from LA, uh, and the other three guys are are from California. I'm from Texas. I grew up in Texas. Yeah, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and uh, I wasn't in the Baptist faith faith or anything like that. But um, Texas, Houston, a little less so, but Texas certainly in the South. My 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 dad's from Northern Louisiana. My mom's from Eastern Tennessee. So that you know, my grandma's from Mississippi. So that certainly you know was in my life. I went to uh, an Episcopalian school, which is about as watered down Christianity as you can get. It's about the most mellow one you can get. But I was certainly surrounded by a lot of that stuff. So the idea of religion and things like that were in my life, you know, by the you know time I was three. You know, my, my dad's Episcopalian, my mom's an atheist. So those conversations were around uh, a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason I gravitate towards, you know, a biblical something um, is because I do feel the potency in it, you know, and the, and the power in it. And, uh, you know... It is. It, it does raise some eyebrows, which is a good thing. You know, what is that? You know. So, I'm sat here with you in 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 Liverpool, yeah. and you're just about to play a, a really interesting little venue yeah. called Handyman, which is on Smithdown Road. Um, a really, really small venue. With, you know, with regards to a band, I think of your stature, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, how does it feel to be out on the road and to be playing Europe and to be playing Ireland at the moment? Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's something that. Me, personally, I've wanted to do for, you know, since I was a teenager. And the reason for that is most of my favorite music, I would say like 85% of my favorite bands, favorite artists, whatever, are from the UK or from Europe or from Ireland, stuff like that. So not only on a personal level is it really exciting and, and fulfilling in that point, from a band standpoint, the majority of our influences are from that region of the world too, or from this region of the world. And so when we're in California, especially when we were starting out, a lot of people didn't think we were even from LA, you know, are you from the East coast? Are you from Europe? Are you from the UK? Whatever. So it's been something that I knew in the back of my brain would mesh really well with the culture and sort of artistic sensibilities of, of these countries. And, um, it's been great. It's, it's, it's gone over really well. All the support bands we've had at all the different dates have, have meshed really well with us too. And so it feels a little bit, you know, especially when we've made it up to the north here, like like we've, you know, come back to our home planet a little bit. It's been fantastic. Talk to me a little bit about the band and the sound you've got. Um, I, I, I think it's very reminiscent of a lot of UK bands, as you yeah. said. Bands like Primal Scream, yeah. potentially some Depeche Mode in there, yeah, 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 with yeah, a little yeah. bit of Joy Division New Order thrown yeah. in for good measure. Yeah, I mean, I love all that stuff. So, I mean, that's naturally going to come out, right? Like Noel Gallagher said, every band just sounds like the songwriter's record collection. So all that stuff's my, my stuff that I like. But beyond that, I think what is interesting with us is, you know, we have a guitar, right? I'm the guitar player in the band. I barely know how to play guitar, right? I wasn't a guitar player. I learned how to start like writing songs on guitar when I was like 27, right? I wasn't a kid in my bedroom when I was 14. And the only reason I started doing it is I was in different bands with other guitar players and, you know, they'd quit, we'd fire them, whatever. And, and we, you know, would just get sick. I said, I think I can do this. And I had an old friend show me a power chord. He said, you know, put two fingers here, moving over, moving down, move it around, you're done. And so what I think that's done in terms of the sound is, I'm not playing guitar in a traditional way, right? Like I'm not doing big heavy riffs, I'm not doing big chords or anything like that. I'm doing a lot of power chords, I'm doing a lot of slashy stuff, I'm doing a lot of noise stuff. Um, I was really inspired by like Jesus and Mary Chain, not necessarily in that specific sound to recreate that, but the idea that a guitar itself 
doesn't have to be Chuck Berry, right? Like, it's this thing that makes noise. What do you want to do with it? And so I think that being the only guitar is is an interesting angle to take. And then in so doing, the bass guitar is doing a lot of what a normal guitar would do. It's doing chordal things and things like that. And then what kind of separates us from a lot of, you know, the newer guitar bands is we have really heavy integration of keyboards, right? And that's holding down a lot of the melody, too. Um, so, yeah, I think out of necessity, out of just circumstance, it's been pieced together in a way that while the, the parts themselves are traditional, the way in which we're using them is not. It's interesting you mentioned the Mary Chain because I, yeah. do, I do think that's a big, big part of the backbone of what I consider to be your sound. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. If you had to pick a track from Jesus and Mary Chain, oh, which wow. one would it be? Oh, wow. Okay. Um... Oh, man. Honey's Dead. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go for kind of a deeper one. Uh, there's a song called Fizzy on the last record before they broke up, Monkey, that I love. That's really, really good. I know a lot of other bands that are, they basically sound like cover bands, like Mary Chain, like, let's just do a ton of feedback and a bunch of noise and that's it. Rather than taking sort of other things from it, what I got from them, beyond just the idea of liberating what a guitar could do, as pretentious as that sounds, is, is in some of their songwriting, it's just like, you can have something that's really poppy or really have a good hook to it and put a bunch of nasty noise, like, you can blend those things. And and that's been uh, always really interesting to me. Uh, Fizzy on Monkey's really good. Um, uh, oh my god, there's one on the, the comeback record they did, uh, Moon something, what is it called? Uh, uh, I don't know, but it's it, that song's really, really good. And uh, and then for a classic one, I'd go Darklands. Gone to the dark to talk and rhyme with my chaotic soul. The song Darklands, yeah. Excellent tracks. Yeah. Wow. Um, so let's go back to that influence then. Where where do you think your record collection took you when you were growing up? And why did it suddenly take you to Europe? Yeah, so I was really lucky. I had a dad growing up. I mean, I still have a dad. But uh, when I was a little kid, um, my dad, and he's still, he's 77, he's still like this. He was always really interested in what's new, what's coming out, what's next, right? And I was born in 1985, so when I was three years old, four years old, five years old in the car with him, what I was hearing was what was new alternative music at the time. So... We're talking Substance, New Order, Octum Baby, um, U2 era, Depeche Mode stuff, Erasure. So those are some of my earliest memories is, is stuff like that right before the Nirvana grunge thing exploded. And, you know, I, I, I like some of those bands too. But from a really early age, that's the earliest sort of, you know, alternative quote-unquote music that I remember. And I always really loved that stuff. And there was just something in me that I was always really interested in, in music. And so I grew up in the 90s where MTV still had videos and all that kind of stuff. So that was 
really easy to see in radio in Houston was actually not so bad. So my dad exposed me to that kind of stuff by proxy. And then I just kind of took it and ran with it myself. There was just something that, that I loved about it that I gravitated towards. And, and so that's how it started. Like I, you know, uh, Oasis did break America in 94, 95, 96. And so I got, I got what's the story on CD for my 11th birthday. So I like big things like that. But when it really shifted for me, when I, I really started just kind of going full steam into it is when the strokes came out, right? The strokes first record came out when I was 16. And that was the first generation of bands that felt like mine. Like I was in on the ground floor at, right? I was old enough to go to shows. Um, I was in at the first album. So like a lot of the nineties bands, they broke up around 2000. So I saw the last gasp or the fifth record or whatever and when the strokes happened it seemed like for the next two years there was a new band every week and and that I was just the exact right age for that and it started over in America the strokes the white stripes all that kind of stuff you know you got the vines from Australia the hives from Sweden and then the UK answered back you have the libertines and then it switches to block party and the rakes and art brute and all that stuff coming from England and I was really lucky timeline wise with that um I would go to a really good bookstore uh, near my house in Houston, and I would read the import music magazine section. So I was, you know, finding out about Block Party when they had one single out over the UK because I was reading Enemy or Q or Melody Maker or whatever. And the thing, the thing I like about that music, right, because what was happening in America, when American music at that time, uh, was either, you know, the stuff that we call post-grunge, which is like a copy of a copy of a copy, which is just, for me, was just not interesting, or the big new dominant genre was like pop-punk stuff. And I, I just didn't like that it felt immature to me. And the thing that I've always really enjoyed about British art in general, but certainly the music, is there's this ability... Um, to have a sophisticated blend of emotions happening at the same time. And a good example that I was telling somebody the other night is like the buzzcocks, right? You have really poppy melodies, fast songs, whatever, but you can have, you look at the lyrics, there's some sad lyrics and weird lyrics, whatever. And, and, and as a culture, it feels like, you know, Europe, England, Ireland, whatever, is much more comfortable with those things coexisting. that to me was I, I always use the word more nutritious right like it was more nutritious for me it was more compelling to me and I always liked it so I always gravitated towards that naturally so I read those magazines and then I was really lucky I went to um to college out in Los Angeles uh 04 through 08 and so those bands that I'm talking about they never came to Houston if they came to America or they, they rarely did you know like I saw the future heads for the first time open up for Franz Ferdinand and that, that was lucky but in LA they were there all the time so I could see all that stuff coming through like I saw soundtrack of our lives like three or four times within the span of a year right I saw art brood all the time and so I was able to sort of like read this stuff from the magazine and then be in a city where it was constantly there and so that run from like 04 until 08 was really, really, really fertile. And that that's sort of when I said, you know, oh, I think I want to do a band. How can I do it? So, you know, started really early with my dad playing really great stuff, me finding the larger examples of that in the mainstream in the 90s. And then by the 2000s, you know, I was on the hunt digging through magazines. Talk to me about a song that reminds you of being with your dad. Oh, man. Um, so 
I love erasure. I really love erasure. And uh, any of that stuff uh, from like the, the record with like Ola Moore and Little Respect and stuff like that. But my favorite erasure song is uh, uh, Love to Hate You. Um, I love that song. And uh, anytime my dad and I would be in the car, we would turn that one up. But um, yeah, that's that's the one. Love to Hate You, Erasure. for the strokes okay um it changes day to day i could i could probably do an hour with you talking about the strokes um my first one that i loved the very first one i loved was someday One that I probably think about the most is probably The End Has No End off the second record. And then track I'm into today, man, let's go, let's go with something off First Impressions. Oh, my Dark Horse one. I love Eyes of the World on the back of First Impressions. That one's really good. Tell me about the sound then. Tell me about the Jagged Baptist Club sound. Early on, it was it was me creating a demo by myself and then bringing it to the other guys and us, us fleshing it out. Now, some of it's a lot more collaborative. We're jamming in the room, we come up with an idea and we go with it and, and, and we turn it there. Uh, when I'm writing by myself, um, and I don't know if other people write like this or, or whatever, um, I usually start with one tiny little concept. Like there's a song on the last record called Haunted by the Night. And... Uh, that started with, I just had that drum beat in my head, and I said, well, let me, let me start with that. Let me just do the drum beat, and we can figure out what to put on top of that. The song Reptile Super Show off our first record, which we are playing tonight, which we put back into the set list, which I'm really happy we did. Um, Josh, the keyboard player, left his keyboard on, uh, and I just went over and started messing around with it and found that do-do-do-do-do sound. I said, great, let's build something off that. I've never said like, oh, I want to write a song about like this bad day I had or I'm feeling this, I need to write this. It, to me, I approach it almost from more of like a, not even a technical level, but more of like a craftsman level. It's like, we need a song. I like this little element. What can we do? And uh, I rarely, if ever, if I'm doing that right on guitar, 
uh, I write on bass. So like I'll do Haunted and, or Chop is a good example too, is I had that beat and I liked that beat. And I started playing that bass line over and I said, great. And then I give that to CJ. He's a much better bass player than I am. And he can run with that. And what's good is then, since the song isn't completely dependent on everything the guitar is doing, when I have the guitar on, I can kind of jut in and out and things like that. So, you know, in terms of the sound, it's really... I never write any keyboard parts. I leave that all to Josh because he knows that and I don't. So I usually come up with some sort of drum bass groove thing that I then put a guitar on top of and then I give it to you know Morgan and CJ who are much better at drums and bass respectively than I am. And then we can kind of take it and go. So yeah, I, I, I usually kind of have like... It's almost like a proof of concept, like, let's see what we can do with this beat, or I really like this keyboard sound, what can we do with that? Can we build a song around that? And I think that flunxes the guys or other people sometimes where it's just like, yeah, no, the song is just, it's just sound like, what do you mean? I was like, it's, it's that, it's that. And then we can just build off that. That's how I approach it rather than like, you know, um, writing lyrics down first. And then in my notes app, I have, if I think of a phrase or whatever, I just have a bunch of notes in there with different little things I've picked up. So I'll be working on a demo. I'll go through that, maybe find something for a lyric, maybe find something for a title and, and then, and then off we go. But that's, that's how I generally approach it. I can see that in the, in the music. I can see it in the way, you know, the, the, the tracks are, you know, I love Temptation, obviously, yeah. is, is the one yeah. that everyone goes to. But you've mentioned Chop there, and, yeah. and I love that. I can see how that yeah. would come together at a yeah. Chop. So, so that one started out as a different song um, that was way longer, uh, unnecessarily complicated, and we recorded a version of that for the record that we ended up putting Chop on, and it just didn't work. The lyric wasn't right, it was it was too wordy, it just was clunky, like, I knew there was good stuff there, but it just didn't work, and so we recorded that version, and and I just didn't like it, and I said, you know, whatever, we'll come back to it, but I knew there was something really good there, so I came back to it, and I was looking at it, and I was just like, this just needs to be fun. I need to, I need to make this stupid. I need to dumb this down and, and tighten it up and focus it up. So basically, I cut the song in half. I completely redid all the vocal. And then, uh, talking again about a proof of concept kind of experiment thing, the name of the song is Chop Times Eight, right? That's the chorus. It's just the word chop eight times. It's like, let me see if I can basically use sort of super obvious, dumbed down pop moves in this context of how we write, and let's see if it'll work. And it did. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you don't even need to know English to know that chorus. It's in the title, right? And and uh, that, was, that was one of those situations where it was like, cut the fat, trim the fat, focus it up, and, and, and let's get on with it. But again, I think yeah. there's a lot of your music is like that. It's yeah. kind of, it is stripped back. It is yeah. pretty raw. Yeah. It is maybe even a bit punk, you yeah, know, yeah, in that sure, respect. Definitely. You definitely. know, you, you can certainly tell that. And there's something really nice and refreshing about that. So tell me how, how that reflects itself in other tracks then. So obviously the go-to track that I want everyone to go out and listen to is, is Temptation, yeah. which is where I came in with you guys. Yeah, so that song... I'm really, really proud of that song. That song was a huge, huge team effort. The way that was written is is we have our own studio in LA, our own rehearsal space where we go and write most of the time, but I have a little acoustic at home. And sometimes I'll just mess around on it. And, you know, I'm usually just playing the, <laughs> the low E. But that, that bass line, those three notes, I started playing. I said, oh, that sounds kind of good. And I wanted something... This, this is something else in terms of proof of concept is 
is for a long time, I, you know, was really against like, we need to have a bridge or we need to do this. It's just like, oh, here's a key change. Here's this part. It's like, that's too much stuff. That's too much shit. We just need a verse, chorus, bit, whatever. And so I was more interested in the idea of, you know, avoiding, okay, here comes the chorus, get real loud. Because like, I remember there was this, I'll give you an example. There was this festival that happened. Uh, they don't do it anymore after COVID, but it happened in Echo Park in LA called Echo Park Rising. It's kind of like South by Southwest where basically for like this 10 block stretch, if you had a power outlet, you were a venue for the next three days, right? And I, we played the last one before COVID shut down. We had a great set. And I remember walking up and down after our set was done and every doorway I passed, you just heard crash and it was just, just bashing. And it was just like, it's, that's boring to me. And, and we don't have a lot of songs that do that. But even then, I was like, I want to avoid that. So with Temptation, again, I love dance music. I love things like that. I I wanted to, to have something where, like, the groove doesn't really change. Like, once we're going, we're just on tracks the whole time. Elements can kind of flurry in and out, and the synths can come in and out. But it's it's a groove the whole time. And that, you know, as a Depeche Mode thing, a New Order thing, or whatever thing. Uh, and I really like, like, 12-inch remixes, like, you know, New Order, Perfect Kiss, 12-inch, whatever. Like, I, I wanted something long like that. And so uh, the original, original, original demo of that is me just doing a kick, snare, hi-hat thing and just opening and closing the hi-hat for, like, five minutes and playing those three bass notes over it. And and then as we started putting it together and I started coming up with lyrics and stuff for it, um, the other thing, and this is kind of a Strokes thing, too, they have a song in their last record uh, called The Adults Are Talking where the groove is kind of the same for a large portion of it, but what's changing um, is the melody. And it's all these different hooks. And I thought that was really interesting to where it's not just like, here's the verse, here's the chorus, do the chorus like five times and that's the hook and that's it. It's like, what if we could have like three different vocal hooks or like, uh, you know, a second part that has a different hook. And so if that's all changing, the music doesn't really need to change that much. So I approached it that way. And then when I brought it to the band, we kind of played it, we got it moving. Uh, Morgan, you know, figured out, okay, cool, I'm just going to play it kind of like a drum machine. And then Josh took it off and started adding all the synth to it, all these synth layers to it. And then we did a recording of it. We liked it. Uh, we thought we were done. There was a buzz on the bass that was a little weird. So, you know, we went back in with the engineer and demanded, hey, we got to redo this. And when we redid it, CJ added uh, a part where there's three basses going at the same time. So the idea with that song was... Let's layer it, let's have it moving, and, and, and the dynamics in the song are just adding and subtracting rather than crash, bam, boom, blah, blah, blah. It, 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 try to exercise restraint and subtlety in it. And then, and to that end, I don't play, there's no guitar on that song. Um, and there is a version we were early on trying to figure out where I was doing my noise guitar stuff, but it's just like, we don't need this. Um, and and that's, that's really where that came from. That's the only song on that record that's like that, uh, but it's done really well for us, and it was a nice sort of, you know, where we could go next kind of thing. And, and we're working on new stuff right now, and, and some of it's in that vein. I think one thing about that track, I love the way it segues between one version of, of, of almost a conversation. It starts off in, in, in different tenses. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I always yeah, yeah. knew you were, eh? I yeah, always yeah, thought yeah, you yeah, were. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. that kind of, yeah. I love the way you play around with this, yeah. with the syntax. Yeah. 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 And with that, I mean, that's one of those things where it's just like, you know, I could tell you subconsciously after the fact, probably what a song's about for the most part. That one, no. Cigarette Crusher just sounds cool. Like, I don't know what that is, um, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's going to be different things to different people. I remember Iggy Pop talking 
talking about the Stooges, and he said one of the things that was really important to them was just creating their own lexicon, creating their own slang and things like that. So a cigarette crusher can be whatever the hell you want it to be. It just sounds cool. Um, and with that, it's funny you mentioned that because I obviously took, at the time we recorded, I was really intentional about the, the tenses and, and the back and forth, and it does kind of go through a progression. Um, to my chagrin, uh, I don't remember it that well. So I sing different verses every time. And when it was new, uh, it didn't matter because people were still learning it. Now that it's a really popular song, I will see people sing the correct version that they've been listening to. I'm wrong, they're right, but they think they're wrong because I'm in the band. But I don't fucking know the verses. I don't know the verses to that song. You see, I love that. And yeah. that that's a lot about what I love about you as a yeah. band because you, you're you not afraid to have fun with it. You know, you're very raw. You're very yeah. kind of out there. Yeah. You seem like you enjoy yourselves a lot Absolutely. on the stage. And so I think that's great. How yeah. does it feel when you see people singing stuff back to you? Did you ever think that was going to happen? It feels great. I mean, it you know, I feel bad with the temptation thing. I don't want to make them feel bad, but, but something that's a huge victory is people in the last six months uh, in America, at least, have finally gotten the chop bit to where I can just hold the mic out, right? And for me, that's just vindication is I designed that chorus to work that way and it finally is right or like when we're doing temptation with an audience that knows the song uh i can hold the mic out for the temptation for that bit it feels great i mean you know i think every band is excited about that you know you slave away in a little space you think no one's going to hear what's going to happen and you know it takes a lot of time and luck and 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 finding people that that believe in it but yeah it, it there's nothing bad about it it's great you know how does it feel to be part of that on stage with those three other guys it's great. I mean, you know, I, I always joke that we're probably the grumpiest band in L.A. before we go on. Like all, all four of us have like like we're not we're not friendly that much. We're, we're great with crew and stuff. But before we go on, we're just so focused on the show and doing a good job and, you know, not rubbing each other the wrong way. Afterwards, when we're done, we're everybody's best friend. Right. And so when we go up, we, we rehearse a lot. So. I'm always pretty confident that we're going to have each other's back and stuff like that. And we rehearse a lot to where we can improv and have fun and things like that. And, and we love the show and, and something that, you know, in older bands I've been in and when I was a fan and, and I brought to this band too, is a respect for the audience is really, really important to me. Um, I remember seeing bands growing up that acted like they didn't want to be there, were, you know, um, uh, contemptuous of the audience. And, and it's just, it's that's bullshit to me. And it's disrespectful to me because people that have come to see you, they've either, you know, paid money. Even if it's a free show, they've spent their time. They could be doing anything else. They've come to see you. They've paid for a babysitter. They've bought a drink, whatever. They're there to watch you do your own original music. You're not doing covers to please them. They are doing you a favor by showing up. And to not acknowledge that, not appreciate that, uh, is, is kind of unforgivable for me. And then beyond that, it can be fun, right? Like people are there to, it's, it's entertainment, it's show business, right? It's supposed to be a good time, right? And, and being self-indulgent or being like really cool and I don't want to try, we run into that a lot in LA. It's just bullshit uh, for me. What we try and do is, I think sometimes people need the green light to know it's okay to have a good time. And, and we try to establish that pretty early on in the set. And it's just like, you know, it's not that serious. Like we really care about the band. We're working hard and obviously we spend a lot of time and money and dedication to it, but it's just like, you know, in a macro view in the context of the world, it's, it's, it's a laugh. It's fun. It's not, it's not that serious. So let's all have a fucking good time. Um, and you know, we'll do the same show whether we're playing to five people in a bar in Europe or if we're playing to 200 people at a club in LA and it's and it's just because not only is it that respect you know component but it's also just more fun to do it like that like what are you gonna go up here and look down and be pissed off like fuck that so being on stage with them is 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 great 
It's really, really great. And and uh, as a unit, when we're all bitchy with each other before we go on, as soon as we're on and we're through that first song, we're, we're off for the next 45 minutes. Where's the best gig you've played so far then? I mean, look, every gig over here has been incredible just for the, the milestone sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, shock of it and, and, and grace of it. Um, I will say over in California, um, we play L.A. a lot. We've had a lot of great shows in L.A., but down in Long Beach, which is about 30 minutes south of L.A., uh, we got invited for our very first show down there a couple of years ago to play this festival. Um, again, sort of this open, a bunch of venues, you know, come down. We'd never played down there before. We didn't know how many people would show up. You know, the record had done a little bit down there, but but nothing huge. And we went on at maybe like five o'clock on the bigger stage down there, and there was it was at capacity. It was crazy. And uh, when we played, these people had never heard of us. They didn't know who we were, and they stayed and they were enraptured and they loved it. And something like that. Um, is really fulfilling to be in front of a crowd that one doesn't know you and two you win them over and they like you not because they're your friends not because they know you not because they think they have to like you or whatever they just fucking happen to see you and they love it and it's great so yeah we played this festival happy sundays we've done it twice the first time is is was really really awesome and shocking and great and cool yeah that that was great long beach is great uh, to have shows at it's always good down there is, was there one track that you played that day that you particularly think really resonated with the audience so i'm gonna i'm gonna answer it in a different way um we didn't play this song there but something that is important to the band and we've done on each record and we're probably going to do on the next one is we have at least one really long form song on on each record and so on the first record there's a song called tender cactus right which is basically essentially sort of like two sort of whoish spiritualized punky things on either end with Basically, this sort of like improv jazz thing in the middle. We're friends with a really good saxophone player in LA who I invited down to play on it. And with that song, that was a big step forward for the band, a big step forward for me in general. We'd never try to push to something to that degree. And I'd always wanted to, because it's like, you know, you can have singles on there, you can have the pop stuff on there. And I like that stuff. Um, but to put the longer form stuff on there was, was really cool. And we used to play that live and it always got a cool reaction. And then we have one that we are playing tonight uh, called Inside the Coffin, which is 11 minutes. And essentially it's about a four minute song verse chorus kind of deal. And then, you know, for the subsequent next six, seven minutes, it's just a bunch of sort of acid jazz freak out kind of stuff. I mean, I talked about the Stooges earlier. One of the things that's really inspiring for me with them is like their second record, Funhouse, right? You got the singles on the front and on the back half, you have these three really crazy long form songs and why not? They can coexist. You know, I have Bitches Brew in my record collection. I like the new jazz stuff coming out of London, like the Commonest Commoning and, and stuff like that. So why not try to interject it in there? And I, I think that's something that's you know, a lot of our contemporaries maybe don't have when we play LA or, or whatever is it's very, it's this, it's this thing or it's that thing. And it's a little more monolithic and it's this flavor of ice cream. And if you like it, great. But you know, we're a little more Neapolitan. We got this there, we got that there, whatever. And you know, that'll never get played on the radio. It's 11 minutes, whatever. That's not the point of that. I always thought, you know, in my mind, the kind of perfect album is, you know, an ocean of sort of like longer form pieces with little islands of singles, right? Like you got to put those in there, but I like those bigger improvisational things and it's fun to play and it can change every night. And, uh, and that's, that's really important to me. I think that's an aspect of the band that, that can be challenging, that does separate us. But ultimately I think, especially in a live setting, when we do something like that, it can be really compelling and, and, and sort of uh, shows a different side of us.
you mentioned there being Neapolitan, uh, and that's obviously <laughs> something that really resonates with me. Yeah. This is kind of why it, I can't not do this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So from my point of view, is there a way that you think you connect more with a certain type of audience who've got more more of knowledge, more background, more kind of, you know... Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, look, that always helps. It's like I'm a huge music nerd. I have an encyclopedic brain uh, with, with that stuff. So, like, when I'm pulling certain references or certain things like that, people might catch on and say, okay, hey, I, I saw you kind of pulled that, or like, oh, that's from this, or, or whatever. And, and I love that. Um, but I, I think the goal is to make sure that that stuff is presented in a way that is inviting and accessible for everybody. And, and, and a good example of that is, you know, I love talking to anybody, anybody after the show and, and they say, oh, you sounded like this. And I said, well, it's actually this band. And I pulled it from that thing. And I like this thing too. Cause you can introduce people to stuff. Uh, I don't like being elitist with that or exclusionary with that kind of stuff because uh, why, you know what I mean? Like I found out about the Velvet Underground cause I read an article about the Strokes. You know, I found out about Guided by Voices the same exact way. So, like, one of the bands that that I'm songwriting-wise, tonally-wise, sonically-wise, uh, I pull a lot from and I really have always loved is a band from Sweden um, from about 20 years ago called Division of Laura Lee. Like, I love that band. And not a lot of people know about them over in America, but I love them. So, like, you know, when we're done and I'm talking to people like, oh, you guys sounded like the Pixies. Like, yeah, cool. I love the Pixies, but check this band out. Check this thing out, you know. I love Public Image Limited. Let's talk about that. So um, in terms of, you know, resonating, I love it when, you know, someone can give me the wink like, yo, is that that's division, right? Like, I got you. I love that. Uh, at the same time, I love being able to tell people about those bands for the first time. Um, so, yeah, it resonates. Uh, but the idea is that you don't have to know that stuff to enjoy it. You know what I mean? For me, it's much more about discovery. Yeah. I love the discovery. Yeah. You know, I can remember running home when I was a kid yeah. from the from the local record lending yeah. library, yeah, if you yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just coming home with like you know, yeah. John Coltrane and, yeah. and and you know like a bag of you know, Ben Webster and may, yeah. may, maybe throwing in there some Tomita. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Just some just some crazy mixture of stuff. It's it's one of those things to where like you know, I know people that say music was the best when I was sixteen. There's nothing good new. Everything new sucks. Look, there's always good stuff there's always good stuff new old whatever but if we're talking about new stuff there's always good new stuff sometimes it's a more fertile period sometimes it's not but if you just have to dig right like i was in houston texas in 2002 digging through magazines and i found out about these bands like if you're really passionate about it and really do the work you can start digging in there and I, i'm that friend that burns you cds you know back in the day or hey did you listen to this playlist or hey you should listen to this and those people are important right and and it, the discovery element is 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 great like i I live in LA and I, I am lucky enough to be by one of the you know best record stores in the world, Amoeba Music, right? I can walk there. Sometimes I'll go there because I'm at the point with my record collecting where it's either like super high dollar rare items or like I got it at this point, what I want. But sometimes I'll just buy stuff because the cover will look crazy. Like, what is this? You know, okay, that's fucking cool too. And the discovery element is really exciting. Um, that's why I've tried to watch every single opening band on this tour that, that we've played with because it's just like, I just like music. And when you find something new... You know, some people want to hold on to it and not share it. I won't shut up about it, right? Because I think it's great. And if I think it's great, you might think it's great. So I'm going to tell you, and I hope you think it's great, you know. Yeah. You are going on stage. So, yeah. uh, you know, let's wind this down. One last thing that I yeah. would love to know is what music means to you personally. Wow. Okay. So I had a friend in, in high school. Um, 
and I've never been uh, uh, practicing of, of any religion, right? And I went to church and school because I had to, and it, it was fine, it was cool, whatever. But me personally, I've never uh, decided to do that. I never thought of myself as a religious person. When I was like 17, I was talking to my friend, and uh, he said, you know, you're the most religious person I know, Blake. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you go to church three times a week. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, you go to shows. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God, he's right. And I never thought about it in that capacity, but for me... What I get as a fan still when I go to shows, the sense of community, the sense of release, the sense of, of elevation is what I would imagine is tantamount for some people as a religious experience, you know, being in a church or whatever their faith might be, you know, a religious building. Um, so what it means to me is, is, is a couple things. One, it's something that touches me on a very, very, very deep level that kind of sort of supersedes um, language, right? And there's, there's that kind of like cliche saying that music is the language of the soul, but it's, it's kind of true, right? And there's a way that you can communicate with sound in, in a way that you just can't verbally. And that's very, very powerful uh, for me. The other thing that I think about a lot too is music in, in, in my estimation is really the only art form that you can very, very easily take with you through every single part of your day, right? You can't really look at a painting while you're on the train. You can't really watch a movie the way it's meant to be seen, you know, when you're jogging, right? But you can do that with music. So music can do this thing where it can be with you in the best times, the worst times, whatever times. Either you're listening to it because you feel sad and you want to hear the song. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy that when I'm sad, I like listening to sad music and sort of, you know, heighten the thing. Sometimes you might be going, uh, something crazy might happen and you just have the radio on. You might get in a car accident the, the the song's playing. And what music can do because of that is it can fuse itself to memories in a way that makes it so, so powerful. Like when you meet a musician that you look up to, like my favorite band, Smashing Pumpkins, right? And... You know, I've met Billy Corgan twice, and I know he's a dude, I know he's a normal person who wrote that music, but when you're meeting that, or for me anyway, when I'm meeting a musician like that, I'm not geeking out over William Patrick Corgan, because I don't really know him. I'm seeing a weird, re you know, mirrored reflection of my life's experiences that has been fused with his art. It's a very bizarre sort of situation, there's really no other art that can do that. I mean, movies to a point, but not to the full integration that you can do with music. So, you know, when some people say music saved my life, I, I, I never look down upon that or never laugh at that because I completely understand that. You know, there's been points in my life, you know, I've never been suicidal or anything like that, but points in my life where you're really fucking low and you can reach over and you can turn a record on, you can put your headphones in, or in the case of the band, uh, sometimes that's all I had to keep going. Like I lived in our rehearsal space for three years. I squatted in there and I did it because I cared so much about this. And it's one of those things where for me, I just don't get what I get out of music out of anything else. I just don't. It touches me on a level that really supersedes language and in a way of verbalizing it. So it's incredibly important to me to the point that it's, it's, in my DNA and you know, it can bring people together. It can express emotions in, in such, such powerful ways that, you know, I, I think it's probably the best art form.
Blake, I can't thank you enough, man. You're a very busy guy. You've come all the way over, for, yeah. you know, to Europe to tour, and you, you know you're right in the middle of it. I've pulled you away from being in the gig now, so <laughs> no I'm going to let you go and get on with it. I just want to wish you all the very best, and I want to say thanks for coming over. Seriously, it's been a pleasure. We hope it's the first of many, and uh, thank you, for, thank you for doing it. It's a great conversation, and yeah, let's go see the show. Let's go do the show. You've been listening to the Feeling Sound Podcast with me, Mark Reeson, and that was Blake Stokes. Well, as ever, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It really means a great deal to us. Take care of yourselves, and hopefully we'll speak to you again very soon.